And even if it's not the pit of infertility, that's the only pit that I really know. I don't know the pit of divorce or neglect or abuse or addiction or cancer. There's so many pits that I don't know, but the pit of infertility, I know like the back of my hand and it is so cruel and so lonely, but God is so gracious in that pit. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a story from Bailey Henry, who shared her story at the Tupelo Gathering. She's actually from Brandon, Mississippi, but had some connections in Tupelo. And y'all, we do get a lot of requests for infertility Mm -hmm. stories. And this, I can just tell you right now, is when you will want to pass along to friends. Absolutely. And here's the thing. You're going to be crying, but you're going to be laughing Yes, too. She is such a great storyteller, just walking us through the pain that she had in her life at that time, but also just how God sweetly revealed things to her, not only about her purpose and, you know, and what he had called her to, but also, you know, how he can work all things for good. So, you know, maybe you haven't experienced infertility. Maybe you're going through something else. This story is really about how God meets you right where you are. And again, I just want to tell you this, listen to the very end of her story, because wow, there is a powerful sentence that she gives us at the very end of her story. It really is amazing. We can't wait for everyone to hear it. And we're excited for our Patreon insiders, because Amy Grody is actually doing a story within the story with Bailey. And Bailey is going to talk more about her book, which is Having a Baby and Other Things I'm Bad At. You will continue to enjoy her humor and just more of her story, not only of infertility, but what the Lord is revealed about himself. So don't miss that. If you're not a Patreon insider, you can simply scroll down in our show notes and click that link to join, or you can go to our website at storytellerslive.org. Here's Bailey. So I'm Bailey Henry, and I live in Brandon, Mississippi with my husband and our three-year-old son in a 90-pound yellow lab, who I love a whole lot better when she's medicated. (laughs) Um, And over the last two years, I have introduced myself as author and speaker and accidental women's health advocate, but I guess with God, nothing is totally accidental. I grew up in Picayune, Mississippi, with two loving parents who taught me that the Lord was holy and that he was good, but they didn't exactly know at the time how to teach me to delight in walking with him daily. So up until a few years ago, I considered God my holy hazmat suit, only to be worn during emergencies. And I have tasted the fruit of only walking with him in an emergency situation and walking with him daily, and it's better on the daily. So when I was growing up, I knew two things for sure. I wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to have a family. So I had zero interest in health insurance or a 401k, so thank you, pal, for those things. But more than just a family, I wanted to be married. And I think that marriage is the most beautiful covenant that we have between man and Christ. And it's an honor to be his wife. Um, But before I met him, when I was 19, I went through a horribly embarrassing and awful breakup, as they all are when you're 19. (laughs) And um, I was moping around my mother's house for about a week. And she said, I'm tired of you acting like this wash your hair, we're going to a Bible study. And I rolled my eyes and I thought, well, this is ridiculous because nothing is going to make me feel better. And that's kind of true. I was still just as lovesick as I was when I left as I was when I got there. But um, the woman who hosted the Bible study 
spoke something over me. And um, I wanted to share that before I get into my story. So this is my mother's friend and her home. I've never been in a home like this. Everything felt holy, like the door, the furniture, the dishes. Like she loves her Jesus so much that you can feel the Holy Spirit just hovering <clears throat> over her couch. And so she and her husband are big hunters. And they have taxidermied animals <laughs> all over the place. So while you're sitting there, it feels very holy and very spiritual. There's a billy goat, like a veggie from the, from the corner. And so I was sitting there on her living room floor, half paying attention to this Bible study next to a stuffed squirrel with pink fingernails. And um, this woman <clears throat> stops, stops the Bible study. And she turns in and focuses in on me. And she spoke a word over me, and she said, Bailey, I just see you speaking to women, and I see you having a platform, sharing your story, and loving women for Jesus. And I was 19 and not living my life for Jesus. And then she just quickly turned around and started back to what she was doing before. And I just said, okay, thank you. And I just sat there. <laughs> And then I had three consecutive thoughts after she said that to me. And the first one was, no, ma'am, you're crazy. That's not, I think you've terribly misunderstood something. <laughs> and then the second one was, well, that sounds like fun. I like to talk and I really love the hearts of women. So if I can get paid for that, that might be the only thing that I'm good at in my life. And then um, the third thought, I just remember this sense of doom sinking over me because I thought, no, nobody gets a platform and talks to people if they if they haven't gone through anything hard. So please, God, let her be wrong. I do not want to go through anything hard. So from the ages of 19 to 29, I lived in a very small corner of a very small box that I put myself in. And I thought, if I just hide here, God will never see me. And if he doesn't see me, he won't call me. And if he doesn't call me, he won't use me, and then I'll never have my heart broken. And that was so dumb. I was so stupid because that is not how God works at all. So, so Kyle and I were married in 2015, and we started our lives in a very normal, poor, newlywed way. And we worked. We went to the beach when we could. And we weren't in a rush to have a family, but we just assumed that babies would come eventually. And two years after marriage, I found out that we were um, expecting our first child in October of 2017. It didn't uh, last long. And so I had my first miscarriage about a week and a half after I first discovered that I was pregnant. And I would go on to have three more miscarriages in a two-year span. And I remember thinking, this isn't, this can't be my thing, right? Like not my thing, not my testimony, not my identifier. I d this can't be it for me. I remember taking a shower and saying, please, God, don't let this be my thing. And this gentle voice hushed over me and he said, it's going to be your thing, but it's for my good. And I was so pissed about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because infertility is this hush-hush, taboo, sad women stealing, like, in the Lifetime movies, like, they steal other people's babies from the NICU unit, and they're just pitiful. <laughs> um, 
and I didn't want that to be me. And it's always just this elephant in the room that separates you from the people that you love best, your marriage, your husband, your mom, your sister, your friends. Nobody knows what you say to you. So this was my thing. So I'm a big researcher at heart. So when I was asked to be on Storytellers, I um, listened to a few episodes from the women who'd shared before me. And when I say a few episodes, I mean all of them. I just wanted to get an understanding of who'd gone on before me. And, and I was so inspired. And I heard all these wonderful stories of these women who clung to their like Ephesians 320s and their Jeremiah 2911s. And they just had such a stronger faith in the moment, in the battle than I did. And so when I started pulling my story together, I went back and looked at my Bible and I followed the post-it notes to where it was most, you know, ripped and well-loved. And then I remembered I lived in the book of Job, which is just about as good of a time as the book of Revelation. Um, (laughs) And so, and then I, I looked and like, asterisk and highlighted and underlined was Job 10.1 and it reads, I loathe my life. (laughs) I think I stayed there for a minute. And then further on in Job 17, it says, my spirit is broken, my days are extinct, and the graveyard is ready for me. Well, that sounds like a party to me. (laughs) Um, And that's one thing that I have found in the journey of infertility. It is a pit that it feels like a graveyard. It is the deepest, darkest, loneliest pit where women lose everything. If there is something for a woman to lose, it is lost in the pit of infertility. Your friends, your confidence, your faith in science and yourself and your body and in God. I just stayed in that pit for a while. And not being able to carry a child full term so far in the last six or seven years has left me feeling more defeated, embarrassed, and shameful, um, and with a lot of self-hatred. So I stayed in my pit, in my dark corner, um, and I threw myself a cute little hissy fit that didn't last long, just a year or so. (laughs) (laughs) And then all at once, the beauty and the will of God started rolling into motion the best things in the best days but to get to it it hurt like hell like he wasn't there at all sometimes it's just like that but he's good anyway so i stayed in the pit and i leaned into the book of job and not the patience of job i learned nothing from his patience but more um more of like his friends like the sort of screw this what's the point what have you done wrong you have failed god in a way and this is why this is happening to you um and why did i deserve this season of barrenness when so many others get to go on and have children with ease so then my story just sort of took off a little bit um and the goodness and holiness and humor and sovereignty of the lord knocked me between the eyes so in december of 2019 i made the first move towards something that had been calling to me for a while my whole life really i always wanted to be a writer Um, I just didn't think that my first piece of work would be so raw and vulnerable (laughs) on something like my infertility. And so I started writing my first book. I gave myself a year and a half to have it totally completed. And to my surprise, it was written in six months and then published just three months after that. Um, 
and the Holy Spirit woke me up one night when I was about three, the fourth, three fourths way done and um, told me to change the title. So I did. And um, having a baby and other things I'm not at was now coming to fruition. And so it's important to know at this point of my story <clears throat> that I'm writing a book on infertility. I'm sharing publicly through a blog and social media that we've had four consecutive miscarriages and I'm setting myself up to eventually work for myself for a year and promote it, you know, go big or go home. Um, and so all the while, my husband and I are leaning into a calling that both of us rejected for a really long time, which was registering with the state of Mississippi to be certified foster parents. We don't have any close family um, nearby that had fostered or adopted. We didn't have a lot of friends um, that had fostered or adopted. Um, but all of a sudden, I looked up one day and there were. I had so many friends who'd been through the foster care system that the Lord just put in my life slowly over a two-year span. And I just looked up and I had everything that I needed. I had resources. I had women. I had mentors um, of who I could ask what to do and who to call. So that is the goodness of God in one way. And so we didn't know anything about what we were doing, but we were trying to be obedient and um, follow the Lord's calling because also during this time, the Lord kept showing me very, very clear visions. And I saw a little boy in footed pajamas running around our home. And I saw a huge hand pushing a stack of papers across the table to me. And I saw a baseball field. And so through a lot of prayer and meditation, I realized that God was saying, if you follow me and you do this paperwork, I will send you this little boy that you've dreamt of out of left field. And he did. Um, but I really, really struggled with this. I wasn't super tickled with it. I was still kind of throwing myself a hissy fit in my pit. And I couldn't wrap my head around the why. So I had a lot of whys. Why is this so difficult? Why is this my journey? Why us? Um, why my husband? I gave him plenty of opportunities to go find somebody else. Why well, was this just so hard? And so I was praying one morning and my whys turned into how's. How is this going to work? How is our family going to handle this? How are we going to get to where we need to go? Um, and most importantly, like, how am I going to love a child who did not come from my bones? How am I going to connect with a child and love him? When I look at him, I might see a stranger and not my features or my husband's features. I just didn't understand because we question God, and it's a hoop and a half when you question Him, because it's so much fun <laughs> when you're praying, and you're like, God, you told the earth where to stand, and you told the stars when to shine, and you have handcrafted all of my internal organs, but I just don't think you really know what you're doing in this situation. <laughs> so my whys turn into hows, and I'm asking Him how... <clears throat> Am I going to love this child? When I look at their face, I see a stranger. And the Lord very kindly but flippantly kind of sassed me right back. And he said to my heart, what if when you look at him, you see me instead? 
and seeing the living God in my son's face, you can do exceedingly more than we ask, think, or imagine is better than seeing my big head any day. <laughs> um, so the Lord is good. And I'll go ahead and tell you, our son does favor us. He looks like my husband, and that is just a really, really gracious God wink and a good sense of humor and just a gentle reminder that he has covered everything. So now this is where um, I should have brought a calendar, a laser pointer, and like a sketcher. And I forgot to say this earlier. Um, parts of my story are really, really hard to listen to. Um, but stick with me because it, it gets good. So in the spring of 2021, we get a call about a one-year-old boy. And by the end of the phone call, my husband and I knew that that was our son. Um, and it was totally out of left field. Um, and then my book was on the printer and I was preparing to get my first 250 copies delivered any, any day now. And I was pregnant for the fifth time. I just didn't know it. Um, and so after I found out I was pregnant, we had all these other balls in the air. We were preparing to go from zero children to two children in six months. Um, but I began to miscarry just a few days after discovering that I was pregnant. And I assumed, as I always had, that that was the only baby in that pregnancy, but I was very wrong. Um, I discovered a few weeks later that it had been twins, and I was still very, very, very pregnant with my remaining child. And so I attended my book launch party for my book on infertility, <laughs> three months pregnant. And the irony of that is not lost on me. So a week after my book launch party, we lived one of the hardest days that we've ever faced, and this is where it gets kind of rough, but hold on, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and I know now it, you have to look back at your story to see where Jesus was physically, spiritually standing with you, and it took me too long, longer than I want to admit, to realize that Jesus was with us, weeping with us, just as he had um, with every loss before. So on the morning of May 26, 2021, I woke up around 5 a.m. in a pool of blood. We were in the doctor's office by 7.30, where we expected to hear the worst um, of what I already assumed. Um, but we were met with a really big surprise, and our daughter had grown, and she was huge, and we heard her heartbeat, and she had a big old head, and I don't know where she got the big head from. <laughs> um, and she was fine. And so my husband was escorted back out to the car because of COVID precautions, but the blood did not stop. And so um, within an hour, I was in labor and at only around 14 weeks, not viable for life. Um, I gave birth alone um, with a nurse on my left and my doctor at my stirrups. And she broke the chaotic silence and said, Bailey, I'm so sorry. Your baby just came out. And I took a deep breath, and I said a really fun four-letter word that I won't be repeating here today. <laughs> and then I sobbed. I sobbed so loud and so hard that I later discovered that they cleared the waiting room area for me because I was upsetting the other patients. A nurse ran to get Kyle, um, and he came back into a room that was covered in blood where his wife, who was pregnant an hour before, was no longer expecting I'm super grateful. 
we were able to hold her and pray over her, but then face the incredibly daunting feeling of handing your child over to a nurse, knowing that you're never going to hold her again. And, and then three weeks later to the day, almost down to the hour, our son moved home. Um, I was still showing and swollen and bleeding, and I still had like this <coughs> trimester boobies, and those were just the best boobies. <laughs> I wish they could stick around forever, but I still had those. Um, and my grieving husband and I were thrown into the deep end of parenthood and toddlerhood and co-parenting with the state of Mississippi <laughs> overnight. In between that time, we lost our daughter. We named her Lorelai. And about two weeks after that, we, we knew that Samuel was moving home in about a week. And so we went to dinner and was just we were just kind of looking at it as sort of like a last good date before we became parents. Because we thought we would never go on a date ever again <laughs> once we had children. I remember staring at this woman who walked into the restaurant and she was beautiful. She was stunning. And she was about seven months pregnant, and she was dressed to the nine, wearing heels and a pastel blue dress. And all I had ever known in my pregnancies was bed rest. And so I just kind of studied her, and I looked at her for so long, I think I made my husband uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but she was gorgeous and confident, and I, I, I started to paint it for her because I see a pregnant woman and I'm like, who told you you could be here? Did your doctor let you out of the house for the night to, to go have dinner? And why are you wearing heels? And why are you wearing light blue? Because what if when you sit down and then you stand up and then there's blood on your dress? Or what if you slip on these super slick floors and you fall and then something terrible happens? And it came down to the haves and the have-nots of what infertility does to women. And it robs you of the most simplest luxury to go out to dinner and dress cute while you're pregnant. And I realized I'm never really going to get to know that. And a lot of women who go through infertility are never really going to get that luxury of like traveling when you're pregnant. That sounds like a nightmare. Um, wearing heels because, because if you've gone through like recurrent miscarriages, and you always have that fear in the back of your mind. You want to miscarry at home. You don't want to do it on the beach, at, on a trip, or um, wear certain things that, God forbid, if you do start bleeding, like nobody's going to be able to see it. And then you can just sort of sneak out unnoticed and nobody's going to make a fuss, you know. So I just studied her and I was so happy for her. But it really just solidified the hard line that is drawn between the women who understand this and the women who do not. So it took me months to get a grip in my head and in my heart of what was happening in our homes. We um, were thrown into the deep end of parenthood while I was on like a mini book tour. I had just lost our sixth child, and then we get this beautiful miracle boy. Just as God promised, just as God promised me that we would, and then I was using my heartache as a platform and a vessel, just like that woman said at the Bible study when I was 19. Did I think it would happen in the same month? 
No, I didn't. I really didn't. We were very tired. We're still very tired. Um, and we look at our story and we're like, did we really do that? Because Samuel moved home and two days later, I put his cute little tushy in a car and we drove to Fairhope, Alabama for a book signing. Zero out of ten would recommend don't do that. <laughs> so in my book, I wrote a chapter on uncomfortable truths and the one about the, the woman at the restaurant that is an un- uncomfortable truth. But another one is, is that if I had not lost at least four babies, um, we wouldn't have my son. Sam Henry wouldn't be Sam Henry. But God is so merciful and beautiful and good to lead me to the boy who was meant to be our son since the beginning of time, even if it was hard and dark. Um, and even when I was down in that pit that felt like a grave, begging God to take away my desire to be a mom. Because if you're not going to give it to me and you're not going to make it easy, just take it. Take it, please. And he wouldn't. He only gave it to me in tenfold. He took no desire from me. But he did take away my fear of adoption and my questions of the whys and the hows. And so we knew preparing for our son to move home with us He just replaced all my questions and my fears with a deep longing, and I could not wait to meet our son. And so I do love the book of Job. Maybe I've learned a little something about patience. Probably not. Um, (laughs) But I love the raw truth and the harshness. I do. I love the harshness of Job 10 and 17 because it's real. And even if it's not the pit of infertility, That's the only pit that I really know. I don't know the pit of divorce or neglect or abuse or addiction or cancer. There's so many pits that I don't know, but the pit of infertility, I know like the back of my hand, and it is so cruel and so lonely, but God is so gracious in that pit. He's right down there with you, weeping with you, and it's just, um, I think it's the way that women are built when it comes to our motherhood. We want what we want when we want it. And it's it's a rite of passage for so many of us. And if, if that door keeps getting closed into your face, you just feel like it's all your fault. But in that pit, that's just how I met the Jesus that is not a hazmat suit, but he is a delight um, that delights in me. But later on in Job, um, it gets a little sweet. Where in Job 19, it says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold him. Oh, how my heart faints within me. That scripture just reminds me that our walk with God is such a love story. And the best kind of love stories are a little bit dramatic. Um, And you don't, you know, and they're filled with heartache. So that's okay if your walk with God has been interesting. And my walk with God has been filled with rejection and joy hope, hope lost, hope found, and visions fulfilled, and an intimacy that I now have with Jesus that is the most valuable thing to me. So in losing six babies, one adoption, a rush of fulfillment from a word spoken over me, I had to learn through the hardest, most embarrassing, shameful, and frustrating thing that a woman can go through, that that longing can only really be filled with Jesus. And even so, he is still good. Um, but that is how I came to know that God is who he says he is. 
El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. El Roy, the God who sees me. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. That's how I truly came to know him. And through my infertility, he's proven time and time again that I am not forsaken, even when I feel like I am, because there is no more of a forsaken feeling than to know what death feels like from your insides. But he is the God who provides visions and brings them to life, and he will always be more than enough. But I'm not the kind of woman who blindly believes that I will carry a child to full term one day, if that is in his desire for me, then it'll happen. But I need to learn that for myself, to have that faith for myself, because I know that that will help. We're trying to figure out now how we're going to give Sam a sibling. We, we just don't know how we will, but God can do it. But if he wants me to birth a baby, I'll have a baby. Um, but I think we get, especially women with infertility, we get so caught up in putting God into a box um, he is only Jira, the God who provides, if we get exactly what we pray for, exactly how we pray for it. And that's not true. He is infinitely good, even if his answers are no. So we, Kyle and I, have this sort of lifetime mountain to climb to navigate being an adoptive parent, protecting <coughs> Sam's story, and slowly revealing it to him over time. And we're starting small, three, um, by telling him that he grew in mommy's heart and not my tummy. And um, we'll say, hey, Sam, where'd you come from? And he'll say, mama's heart. And a few weeks ago at dinner, I said, hey, where'd you come from? And he said, mama's heart. And then a few minutes later, he said, you know what, mama? You came from my heart, too. So I'll leave you with this. One of the... Last things that my grandfather ever said on this earth was a breathless hallelujah when he was on hospice, um, which was kind of odd because he was a real good time. But um, <laughs> he didn't talk about his faith or his belief ever at all. I never heard him pray. I never heard him talk about the Bible. But we knew that he knew Jesus because of the way that he loved us. And... Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that, that even if God's answers are no, and even if we don't get exactly what we want, how we want it, I'll still raise a hand. You know, at the beginning of Bailey's story, I had said, be sure you listen to the very end. And and the reason why I said that was I just thought the story of her grandfather was so powerful in that here was a man that didn't, he wasn't boisterous about his faith, but when he was passing, he just gave, as she said, a breathless hallelujah. And then she said, you know, at the end of her story, even if we don't get what we want, I'll still raise a hallelujah. We're coming off of Natalie Warren's story last week that we actually titled Raise a Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. And just the importance of praising God in the hard. Mm -hmm. It's a discipline, I think, that we all can learn. But again, like I said, just that beautiful picture of her grandfather, something was unveiled before his eyes for him to give that breathless hallelujah. And it, to me, 
I had tears in my eyes listening to it because I thought we are headed to another place. This is not it. And we so often see the circumstances and the pain and the difficulty in front of us. And we think, how are we going to get through it? We are headed somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's just the picture of that that she ended her story with was just so good to me. Yes, we are headed somewhere else. And what's incredible is that God gives us visions of that even while we're here on earth. You heard Bailey share, even at the beginning of her story, of receiving this word when she was in Bible study at 19, that I wrote down from the age of 19 to 29, she ran away from that prophetic word. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she said that she put God in a small box. Uh, Yes. Yes. A small box. And she said, if I hide here, he can't find me (laughs) and he won't use Mm. me because I don't want hard. Mm. And one How incredible that the Lord gives us things long before we know what's going to happen. He gives us these prophetic words, which if that's something that you're not familiar with or something that makes you uncomfortable, it is simply God speaking to someone or even speaking to you about the trajectory of your life. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. It's not a magic wand. You know, it's (laughs) not, it's not getting your palm read. It is hearing what the Lord is saying to bring encouragement to you. It's so interesting to me that she received that word and then just ran for 10 years and God did not leave her. Mm -hmm. He ran right after her for 10 years, even though she put him in a box. She tried to hide. She used all kinds of hilarious words to describe that season of her life. And yet God found her right where she was to say, I'm going to walk with you. I tell you what hit me between the eyes, and this was very early in Bailey's story. But when she said, my parents taught me that God was holy and good, they didn't teach me to delight in him. And it kind of stopped me. And I thought, am I teaching others that I delight in the Lord? And that just means simply, I I walk with him no matter what. And then at the end, when she closed talking about that, our longing can only be filled with Jesus. That is how we take delight in him, Mm -hmm. is taking every need to him. I really just felt the Lord speaking to me, not only as a parent and what I'm reflecting to my children, but also what am I reflecting to Mm -hmm. other people? Mm -hmm. And we have to talk about how raw she was Mm -hmm. in her experience and her faith journey, Mm -hmm. just the run from running from the Lord to running to the Lord and hearing him so clearly in areas of her life and yet still struggling at the same time. Isn't that all of us? And she just gave, to me, she gave such freedom to all of us to just sit with the Lord and be honest. Hmm. She doesn't have it all together. And she was so clear she doesn't have it all together. And that's all he wants But she loves Jesus. Yeah. You know, Robin, like you just said, I mean, the the rawness of her story, I have never walked through infertility, but listening to her go through so many miscarriages, I mean, my heart was breaking listening to her and then just giving us a little bit of insight into someone who's walking through infertility of this idea of the haves and the have nots, I think is how she worded that. It just, it, it made my heart be, Lord, thank you that you allowed me to have children, but help me to be sensitive to these women that are walking through infertility and their hearts are being broken when they they find out they're pregnant and they lose their child. And it happens multiple times like it did Mm -hmm. to Bailey, just being able to have that sensitivity for her. And then, you know, also just her her saying, you know, towards the end of her story, she talked about Jehovah Jireh and that the Lord will provide. And she said, so often we think the Lord is only going to provide when he provides what we need, when we need. It, you know, what I want, what I want on my timetable. 
And we have to recognize that he is the God that is above all things and his glory is going to be revealed no matter what. And so there are times where he does provide and give us what we want, but there are times that he doesn't. And that's when, goes back to Natalie's story last week, that's when we have to sit and trust that he is with us, that he is walking with us. And again, as we said at the beginning of this discussion, we are headed somewhere else where mm-hmm. there is no more crying and no more sadness and no more tears and no more heartache. And and just be able to sit in that as well. Well, thank you so much for listening today. You probably have many people in your life that could benefit from hearing Bailey's story. And also we've linked her book in the show notes below uh, so that you can not only share the story, but share her book as well. And next week is our very last story before we take our summer break. And so it's a great time for you to catch up on stories you may not have listened to. We are going to air some various stories throughout our years in Storyteller, some oldies but goodies and some favorites. And then we will be back with you in the fall. And so, again, one more story next week with Jessica Stovall, our beloved team member in Oxford, Mississippi. And she will wrap up Season 6 of Storytellers Live Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.